0: to get over here than I normally had and was hustling and glad these guys was up here singing, bought me a little time. But it's not just been a fast day, it's been a fast week. I think about that little girl that was in her Sunday go-to-meeting clothes trying to get to Sunday school, and she was afraid she was going to be late, and she was running down the street and praying, God, don't let me be late, God, don't let me be late, please God, don't let me be late, and about that time, she tripped, she fell, scuffed her knee, scuffed her elbow, she was bleeding, her clothes was torn, now she's crying, she jumps up, she Wipes the blood off, she dries the tears, and she takes off running again. And she says, God, I'm going to ask you again, please don't let me be late. Lord, please don't let me be late. But listen, Lord, don't you push me again. (laughs) I said all of that to say this, not just fast today, but a very fast week. And I'm glad that God gives us some pushes, gives us some nudges to get us where He intends for us to be. A week ago last Wednesday, He gave me a nudge. And it was a fast and furious trip to Asbury University. But man, I'm glad I got to spend three and a half hours in the present of God at Hughes Auditorium. But before I would walk in there, I got the news that my grandmother was not doing good, and I knew as soon as I got out of there, it wouldn't mean a full night's sleep, Bob, but maybe a partial night's sleep, if that. He would nudge me back. To arrive on a Thursday to get there to see her, and not get to stay there with the family, he nudged me out pretty quick, Ollie. Because on Thursday night, I had to sit with the 12 and 23 group as we got together. But I'm so glad he nudged me to go there. I enjoyed that time with them. And man, I'm so glad he nudged me to get me back to the nursing home on a Friday night because I think my family would agree that Friday night was the most Meemaw-like Meemaw like Memo we would seen in a while. Meaning, in about 9 o'clock at night, she looked up and she said, I'm 92 years old and we're out this late and we're talking about bacon cookies. And I said, it's silly, isn't it? And she looked at me and she said, it's crazy. Boy, I'm so glad he nudged me there to have that memory. Boy, and I tell you, it didn't even seem like Friday night was over and he nudged me to a men's breakfast. Man, it was still going on when he said, You gotta go, boy, feed my sheep's happening at still well. And I walked in, I mean straight up when it started. It seemed awful fast. And then right back to the nursing home. And man, I'm so glad by the grace of God he just kept having me where I needed to be. That being Sunday morning in the fair ring preaching the gospel to a community we love. I'm glad he nudged me out of that place back by the nursing home because that nursing home Sunday afternoon I prayed a prayer. And I told my meemaw Bide when I left that room and I walked that long hallway that nursing home I knew I would never see her again this side of heaven. But I'm so glad He nudged me by that day. Glad He pushed me to have me where He wanted me to be. Man, by the grace of God, I got here last Sunday night when both campuses come together. And I'm telling you, God was on the move. And I'll tell you why I know He was on the move. You can't have a four-hour service at a Baptist church without God. They'll quit you. But I'm going to tell you, He nudged me to... My grandma's house on the hill monday night to see family that i hadn't seen in a while be reminded things i didn't know and pushed me to a visitation on tuesday evening to see classmates and extended family come there and help bear the burdens of the loss of my grandma but i'm going to tell you what he nudged me through getting some things done wednesday morning that popped up that i was unexpected, but by the grace of God, somehow Miss Terry got me to the funeral, got me to the lunch. And after the cemetery, lowering my grandmother's body into that grave, my wife said, you going home? And I said, it's Wednesday, look at the clock. Nope. And somehow, by the grace of God, he got me to the Wednesday night services where we had an amazing service. And Miss Ty Rogers was laid on our church's heart. She had been one of those that had been gone for a while, and our church prayed for Miss Ty Rogers, and man, she was sitting back in the house of God this morning. So glad to be there. So glad for her to be brought to our mind and us fervently pray for. And man, when I took a deep breath after Wednesday night service was over, I got home and I told my wife, whoo, glad we got through that. She said, don't you have something this weekend? I said, oh, no, I'm I'm clear, clear and free. When she said that, I thought, maybe I'd open that calendar up. I have no idea why the leadership and pastors would ask me to come and preach to them. The guy that's got more questions than he does answers. But I preached twice to them on Friday night. Spent the night and preached twice to them Saturday morning. Glad God nudged me to get there. Left there, by the grace of God, got the feeding done and joined a prayer meeting on the university campus of NSU last night. And when I left there, some of our church people said, Rob, why are you preaching in the morning? I've been going so fast. I looked at him and I said, I have no idea. I'm just telling you right now, I'm drier, spiritually speaking, than a dry, I'm drier than a popcorn fart. I'm sorry, my wife told me say toot there. So last night I was drier than a popcorn toot. I'm sorry. Isn't it something, even though you're dry, God knows 8 o'clock is coming. Aren't you glad that God nudges and pushes? And aren't you glad by the grace of God he gets us where we need to be? Man, when you get to experience his presence in all those different places, you can just say, it's fast, it's furious glad you got a governor on me at 100 mile an hour because I've been going 100 mile an hour. I've always wanted to be like them other guys that go in 140, but this week I'm so glad he put a governor on me. I don't know what it's like to go 140, but I know what it's like to be against the governor at 100. And by the grace of God, He gets us where we're supposed to be. And He's done the same for you, and you ought to just applaud Him for that. Amen. So a week like this, let me tell you, When you bury your grandmother, she was one of them people. Do you have them in your life? They just seem not even human. My grandmother was that way. When I say she didn't even seem human to me, I I just watched her care for her kids, care for her grandkids, and and, and especially now that I'm older, I'm watching everybody else have breakdowns and this and that, and my grandmother said it wasn't her. She just saw the needs of her family and her friends, and she just met the needs. One of the great things about my grandma that was said in her obituary is she babysitted 100% of her grandkids. She was a babysitter. And this woman that seemed... Almost not even human because of the load she could carry in that of meeting the needs of her family and babysitting 100% of her grandkids. And listen, I seen that she really was human at the end of her life. You know why? The one that always met the family's needs, now the family's meeting her needs. I realized in the latter part of her life, she really is human. The babysitter of all babysitters now has to be babysitted. In case you ain't picked it up yet, I'm trying to tell you everybody's human. And We have people in our life and we watch their life and we see them go. We see them doing it without complaining. We see them doing it with the joy of the Lord all over them. And sometimes we just think, man, they're not even human. Look at them. But the truth of the matter is we're all human. And that got me to thinking, as dry as I was last night, about the best babysitter in the Bible. I knew who the best babysitter on earth was. And I began to think, who's the best babysitter in the Bible? Surely you know who it is. It's David because he rocked Goliath into a deep sleep. That's the time I'm supposed to pause for like two or three minutes to let you guys quit laughing. But I'll go on since you didn't laugh that long. Is David not one of those people that we think, man, he's not even human? When we read about some of the things that he's done, we just think, man, he's not even human. Well, let me remind you, he is. He was. And to prove that point, to tell you that he was human, he's the guy that fell over and over and over again. But what seemed like what made him not human, he just kept getting up. To the point that he was said, the Word of God, he's a man after my own heart. He trips, he falls, but he keeps getting up in the name of Jesus. Him falling says he's human but keep getting up, tells us, man, he's above you. But then let me tell you something. When I think about David, one day he just seems more than a human. He's a hero because he takes down Goliath. But he's human because the next day he's a zero. He lays down with Bathsheba. Come on, he seems so... Above human, but he's tremendously human. This is the guy that said, the law of God is not going to depart from me. I am. I love. It's like honey. And the next day, he breaks four of the Ten Commandments. Did you realize David's human? I mean, one day... He's on shouting ground. You ever read the Psalms? They're shouting Psalms. But then the next day, he's on doubting ground. You ever read the Psalms? Where you at, God? What I'm saying is, David is human. He had his ups. He had his downs. But he could always say, thank God, I'm heavenward bound. David had his ups, he had his downs, and we read the Bible, and there was times that he was trembling on his foundation, but he could always say, thank God, my foundation never trembles under me. And to tell you how human he is, he wrote a lie. Did you know your Bible's got a lie in it? You know, this is the third service that got so quiet when I said that. I found a bald-faced lie in this book. Now, you're going to want me to tell you where it is, aren't you? Try Psalms 142. I'll even give you time to get there because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to read it. I'm going to preach to you today a sermon that I've entitled. Are you ready for this title? It's a lie. Psalms 142. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and I think you're going to see that he was fully human because he was a distressed man. Look at Psalms 142, verses 1 and 2. I cry out to the Lord with my voice, With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare before Him my trouble. Don't that sound like a distressed man? He's human. Man, I sat at the table with uh, five other guys, and one of them that sang at the men's conference on Friday and Saturday was none other the son than my good Good friend and classmate known since kindergarten, still know him in that of Tim Hammonds. His boy was lead singer at the conference. I said, I guess school's behind you. He said, yes, sir. He said, but I'm unemployed. They overhired. I was the bottom man on the totem pole. I lost my job. I've got one. I've applied for. He said, I'm going to go do an interview, but I've been told it's pretty stressful. Now, Beans, I know his daddy. I know his situation. He didn't look at the other guys at the table. He looked at me because I knew what was going on in his family. And he looked at me and he said, and you know, I don't need no more stress right now. When we got up, I put my hand on old Josh's shoulder and I said, when you get stressed out, let me tell you what you need to do. He said, what's that? I said, go bird watching. I said, when you get stretched out, let me tell you what you need to do. Go flower gazing. Does anybody know why I told him to do that? Takes care of the sparrows. And he takes care of the lilies. Next time you get distressed, tell you what you ought to do. You ought to go bird watching. And you ought to go flower gazing. Might help you. Probably what David should have done here, huh? But he goes from a distressed man to what I think to a desperate man. Look at it. And we see the fear. He's fearful. He said, when my spirit was overwhelmed within me, he's got fear within him. But watch this, he's got fear without. He said, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Saul's trying to kill him. He's fearful within, but he said, hey, Saul ain't just no bad general. (laughs) Saul knows how to battle. He's after me. Pretty desperate, isn't he? Fearful within, fearful without. But then, here goes the lie. I'm friendless. Look at it. Look at verse 4. I'm friendless. I thought the Bible said we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You say, well, it doesn't say he's friendless. Well, it looks to me like it does. It says, look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Now we could say, oh, yeah, but that ain't, come on, Rob, that's kind of stretching it. He may be stretching the truth, but I wouldn't call that a lie. Okay, I'll buy that. Look at the next line. Refuge has failed me. Ain't he the same guy that said, my refuge is who? He just said, in case you didn't pick up on that, Jesus failed me. You say, I don't even know if I buy that's a lie. Well, I'm going to tell you the next one is a bald face lie. What's that next line say? No one cares for my soul. Look up here. Did you realize your Bible had that kind of lie in it? That's a lie in the book of truth, isn't it, Steve? David, the man that we thought was superhuman, Georgia, he just said, no one cares for my soul. Now, do you understand why I'm preaching a sermon entitled It's a Lie? Because it's a lie. If you doubt it's a lie, let me just preach to you for a few moments. And let me just remind you, I've learned from the Asbury University revival, it's come as you go or come as you are, but come and go as you please. If I preach a little long, I won't think a thing about it. You leaving. But I'm going to just preach till I get through, okay? It's a lie because the truth of the matter is heaven cares. Heaven cares about your soul. If you don't think so, how about Luke chapter 15? He comes in there and the tax collectors and the sinners are drawn to him. And when they are, the scribes and the Pharisees complain saying, he receives sinners and he eats with them. And I shout, hallelujah! I'm glad he receives sinners and I'm glad I can dine with him and he with me. But they complained about it. And then he spoke this parable. He said, what one of you having a hundred sheep And one's gone. Who of you don't leave the 99 in the wilderness to go find the one? And when you find the one, you put it on your shoulder rejoicing. And which one of you, when you get back with it, you don't call your neighbors, you don't call your family, you don't call your friends. Come on, who don't call and let them know, hey, I found my sheep. And you know what he says? He says, likewise. Just like you would do that. He says, Listen, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven, listen to this, over one sinner who repents than the 99 just who don't need to repent. Tell me, no one cares for my soul. It looks to me like heaven cares. And then he goes right on and he said, What about the woman? She had ten silver coins. She loses one, and and does she not light the lamp? Does she not sweep the floor? Does she not search until she finds it? And what happens when she finds it? She calls her friends, she calls her neighbors, and says, Rejoice for me, I found the peace that was lost. Likewise, Jesus said, I say to you, There is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. No one cares for my soul. Heaven does. Yeah. Boy, and something occurred to me early this morning. And maybe it already had occurred to you, but it's worth listening real close to. Have you ever read Hebrews one i I'm not going to get in a debate about guardian angels. Do we have them? Do we, and I, and I, and listen, and listen to me closely. I watch people try to get so deep on answers, they miss some of the most simple things. I'm not going to debate with you about guardian angels, but I want to bring to your attention what Hebrews 1.14 says. And let me just remind you that the whole chapter is telling us how much superiority Jesus has over the angels. But something caught me this morning, Miss Bonnie. Every one of us have an angel that ministers to us. Go read it real close. In salvation. Now, wait just a minute. The Holy Scriptures conviction, the Holy Spirit calls, and there's an angel that ministers to us in our salvation. That don't mean that the Holy Scriptures convicts. It don't mean that it don't, because it does. The Holy Spirit's convict. The Holy Scriptures convict us. And after they convict us, the Holy Spirit calls us. I don't, I don't think there's an angel involved in the conviction and the calling. But And I don't understand it this side of heaven. But somehow an angel's involved in our salvation. Says it says it right there. They minister to us in our salvation. You don't want to miss this. Because here's what that means. And I never got it. I got it this morning. See, my grandpa died... Nine years before I got saved. You with me? One million plus miles behind the wheel. I wondered where my grandpa was in eternity. And my grandmother didn't tell me the story. None of my family told me the story. The preacher at his funeral didn't tell me the story. I didn't know nothing about it. But that Tuesday morning I got saved. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God is the one that told me my grandpa was in heaven. I later found out that on the Monday night before he died, the preacher come out, shared the word, conviction from the Scriptures, a call from the Holy Spirit. He cried out as a sinner, and he got saved. I knew that after hearing the story and learning, he was convicted, he was called, and he cried out. But I didn't ever know there was an angel there during his salvation. And so for nine years, I finally realized that Tuesday morning, my grandpa's in heaven. You with me? And the Holy Scriptures had been preached by Marty Brock. I was convicted. The Holy Spirit called me that Tuesday morning. And because He called and because He knocked, I cried out as a sinner. And I'm going to tell you, I've been changed by the Savior. I knew the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit was part of that salvation that morning. But I didn't realize that morning in that old Mack truck, somehow, some way, even though I don't understand it, there was an angel there that was somehow ministering to me and my salvation. Are you there yet? So what happened that Tuesday morning when I finally said, I do to Jesus? I guess that old angel just had to leave that old Mack truck and he just had to fly back into glory. He'd had to go through that gate of pearl and he had to say, Hey, I got an announcement. Is there an Alvin Pierce in the house? I, I suppose old Alvin was at the throne praising and worshiping. Angel comes in and says, Is there an Alvin Pierce in the house? I just wonder if my old grandpa didn't look up and say, well, they called me son, most of them, but yeah, my real name's Alvin. Hey, I got an announcement. Right down there on the side of the highway, your second oldest grandson, he just repented of his sins. He just gave his life to Jesus and he'll be joining you up here someday. And according to Scriptures, there was a party in heaven over this sinner who repented there. Huh? It wasn't. But a few months later, I got to listen to Steve, Uncle Steve, pray and ask Jesus to forgive him. And I knew the Holy Scriptures had been preached. I knew the Holy Spirit had called him. But little did I know there was an angel right there in that house that night. But evidently there was. And listen, that day right there, he must have flew out of the house and he must have got up to glory. And he must have said, "Hey, is there now? Is there some pierces in the house? Is there some locust grovian in the house?" i got some announcement. You know, old Steve Pierce, he just repented of his sins and he gave his life to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what happened. They had a party in heaven. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? And I began to thank Brother Dave. Man, that day I preached behind that casket of my 16-year-old nephew trusting the Holy Scriptures to convict. Trusting the Holy Spirit to call some of them high school kids to repentance, some of that family they called my in-laws and would have been better called outlaws, because that's what they was. And man, I done my best to preach the Holy Scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to call their names, and I know He did, but I didn't know there was so many angels in the room, because each individual that got saved that day, and there was forty-eight of them. So that means there must have been 48 angels, according to Hebrews one fourteen. Somehow, way, I don't understand it, was ministering to those folks. Can you imagine just a few days earlier? That's when Derek went to heaven. Can you imagine what it must have been like that day? when them gates was yanked open, and here comes 48 angels in there, said, is there a Derek Barnes? I know he ain't been here long, and I know he's probably done it at the throne, but he needs to know something. 48 friends and family just repented of their sins and gave their life to Jesus. And you know what happened in heaven? They went to partying. And that was that afternoon at that funeral, and then I began to think this morning, because I never saw this before, that party must have been maybe just kind of dying down about the time we was putting his body into the hole. And my father-in-law looked at me before we ever got the casket out of the hearse. And he said, Robbie, because he called me Robbie, I need to talk to you. We got the body in the hole and we were went over to Mr. and... Mrs. Ray and Kathy Barnes' house, and everybody was kind of eating and kind of going on, and he was pretty uneasy, and he stepped over. And he said, Rob, can I talk to you? And when we took off over there toward that Bradford Pear, he just grabbed his old son Ray. And when we went over that Bradford Pear he turned around this man I'd never seen shed tears, this man that was hard, this man that was tough. He began to cry, and he said, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. And I know it was because of the conviction from the Holy Scriptures, and I could see the call of the Holy Spirit, but I had no idea there was an angel right there around that tree with us. And when he prayed that prayer, let me tell you what happened. Maybe the party was just dying down for all of Derek's friends and some of his family. But man, an angel must have left there that evening and flew right back in and said, you guys, put your party hats back on. Because listen to me, Barnes family. Listen to me, all you people. The chief of that family, the hardest man in that family, he just repented of his sins. He just gave his life to Jesus. And if you don't think somebody cares for your soul, they had a party in heaven that evening. evening no one cares for my soul it's a lie heaven cares i'm going to tell you no one cares for my soul it's a lie you ready for this hell cares oh now preacher you're stretching it a little now you done told us there's a lie in the bible and you're and we we got that but you're telling us hell cares just go one chapter further Go, go to sixteen verse nineteen. there was a rich man he he, he had on the purple he, he he dressed fine he he eat well, he fared sumptuously, but there was also a beggar, wasn't there, full of sores, begged for the crumbs the the dogs licked his sores, and one day he died, he's carried by the angels to heaven, but the rich man also died, he was buried, and what was he tormented in hell. He looks up and he he cries out to Father Abraham, Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and come and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Is that what he said? Yes, sir. Father Abraham says, Can't do it, buddy. Remember in your lifetime, you had the comfort, you had the luxuries. Lazarus was tormented. Now that's flip flopped. He's up here, he's comforted, he's got the good. You're tormented, you've got the evil. And besides all of that, there's a gulf. We from here can't pass to there, and you who are there can't pass to here. Once you get into eternity, you're where you arrive. So what happens? I beg you. No one cares for my soul. Hell does. I beg you, Father Abraham. Send Lazarus where? Send him to my father's house. I've got five brothers. Let him testify them lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They've got Moses and they got the prophets, and I'm telling you, that rich man said, Please, I'm praying to you, send Lazarus that he may testify to them. If one come from, from the dead, they will repent. Get them to my father's house lest they end up here. I want everybody to look up here. I've heard it time and time again. Some old cold, hard-hearted guy. They'll say, I'm just going to go to hell. That's where some of my best friends are. And that's where some of my favorite family members are. They got the attitude of Will Rogers. He said, I choose hell for company, heaven for climbing. He wouldn't have said that if he'd understood And that may have been your friends and that may have been your family's member attitude. You may have discussed that yourself. We'll just go to hell and we'll just party forever. That ain't what hell's about. And if that's someone you know or that's your attitude here, let me tell you something. The minute you get to hell, that'll change. Because you don't want your family members coming to hell. You don't want your friends coming to hell. No one cares about my soul. Heaven cares. Hell cares. No one cares about my soul. The church cares. Do You remember Matthew chapter 16? Here comes the twelve. I believe they at Caesarea Philippi. I don't know. I think that's where they may have been. Twelve come walking up to Jesus and He's got a question for them. Who do men say that I am? They answered the question. Well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some think, others think you're Jeremiah or at least one of the prophets. And Jesus always comes back to this, don't it? it gets personal. Who do you, 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 who do you say that I am? Peter says, he answers You're the Christ, the Christ, not a Christ. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what he says? Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my fathers who's in heaven did. And I tell you what, I'm going to give you the name Peter, which is Little Rock, and upon this rock, I'm the big rock. That's what that means there. The big rock, Jesus Christ, looks to the little rock and says, upon the big rock, I'm going to build my church. And what does he say? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so many times and so much more in these times, we just board ourselves up in the church and think that verse means that the devil and the gates of hell can't enter into our territory. We think of that as more of a defensive thing. Let me tell you what that is. That's not defensive. That's offensive. What that means is we have the authority to storm as an army of God called the New Testament church, storm the gates of hell, go into the devil's territory, which the God of this world, that's the devil, and set the captives free. So listen to me. No one cares for my soul. I'm thankful to be a part of this body called Exciting Southeast Baptist that understands we can kick the gates of hell down, we can storm the devil's territory, and we can set the captives free. Do we do that? Well, in February, we just done it last week, I mean, it's a lot of work to get a sound system down there to... community building where the Cherokee County Livestock Show is. It cost a lot of money to feed them. We spent about 4000 at the premium sale. Look up here. Why do we do that? We care for souls. We, we come out of February. We, we kind of slide through March, and here's April. Man, I tell you what, we, we gather together at a basketball tournament. You guys must love basketball. Eh, there's a few that do. But I'd say for the most part, we just endure it. We don't spend that kind of money because we love basketball. We spend that kind of money and sacrifice our time because we love the basketball players that have souls that are lost and undone without Jesus. We move right out of that, sacrifice our time, under a tent and a revival, Listen, because we care for souls, come on, come out of April, go into May. We'll have a roundup for Jesus rodeo that'll cost us fifteen twenty thousand at times. Do we love rodeo? There may be a few that does, but more of us than don't just endure it. We're not doing that because we love rodeo. we're doing that because we love and care about souls, huh. Come into June and July, and man, doesn't it get busy? We'll have VBS. Why does these people sacrifice their evenings to come and leave little snot-nosed kids around to different classes? I would look at their faces. It's not because they love the kids. I mean, they're just trying to dig to do it. You know what? They love their souls. And and I tell you what, I go to youth camp, and the kids ain't as bad as the youth. Why would anybody go to youth camp and let them... Youth kids keep you up all night. Do I love to stay up all night? No. And I'm just turning that over to the ones that can. I can't even do it no more. But why do we spend the money? Why do we go that places? Because we're hoping from the four-year-olds to the high school students, we care for their souls. Are you with me? Let me put it like this. Maybe you'll understand it a little better. I don't know, but I'll be real close. Why does a church, when it comes to missions and outreach, a church our size, spend a, almost a quarter of a million dollars every year on missions and outreach? Come on. I'll guarantee you there's never been a year we've been under 150000 And I dare to say there's years we went over a quarter of a million. Why do we spend that kind of money I mean, come on, we could finish that building on lickety-split. We want that building. We could use that building. It's a need, not a want. I preached twice this morning because we couldn't get them all in down there. But the reason we don't take that money from missions and the reason we don't take that money from outreaches, although we need a building, we'd love to get in it, we love the souls that's, that's going to reach more. No one cares for my soul. It's a lie. Heaven cares, hell cares, and the church cares. You ready for this? No one cares for my soul. It's a lie. God the Father cares. Have you ever thought about when Jesus was slain? You say, yeah, on the old rugged cross. Have you ever thought about when Jesus was slain in the heart of God? If you want to know, I can tell you where you can read it. Book of Revelation, chapter 13. He was slain when? At the foundation of the world. We say 2,000, and that's right. But in God's heart, He was slain at the foundation of the world. Do you know what that means? When when God the Father stepped out of nothing, because there was nothing to step out of, in His heart, his son was slain. When Jesus, when God the Father stepped out of nowhere because there was nowhere to step out of, when he spoke from there was no, when he created all that there is to be created, heaven and earth, mankind, and, and put him in a deep sleep, you know what? In his heart, his son was already slain because he knew mankind was going to fall in the garden. Now, let me just talk to you daddies a little bit. When you got married and your wife conceived, now, 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 I know if you had the right heart, you were saying, God, a healthy child's number one. But then if you had the right heart and you're any kind of man's man, you said, but I really needed to be a boy. Huh? I know there's daddies, girls. I'm very aware of that. But to prove I'm closer to God in my prayers work, I got two to her one. I love them all the same, but I'm just telling you. When my wife conceived, I can tell you my prayer was, number one, Healthy. But God, sometimes you meet our wants. I'd, I'd like the first one. I don't mind a little girl down the line somewhere. Mind sending a boy? I don't know why it is. I guess we just want that boy to... that we can show him how to rough house and we can show him how to do things. And I got those two boys. and Man, one day we was at Quanny's and I was fixing to take off on a bunch of rodeos. and Old Trey, he couldn't have been... Seven, eight years old. Spotting him a golf cart at Quantys. Got on that golf cart, and I mean, he was acting like he was driving it. And and, uh, Harold said, son, you need that. You need to tell your dad to buy that for you. And I said, Harold. He said, man, he, and boy, I mean, I mean, ain't it something how them salesmen can sell? I don't need to worry about that. I'll just get the kid on it. And I mean, old Trey began to bug me about that golf cart. We got in a truck, and he was still bugging me, and here's what I told him. I was fixing to leave the next morning. Castle Rock, Colorado, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and a little string of rodeos. He's just bugging me, bugging me, bugging me, and I said, I'm going to tell you something, Trey. If I win first place, I said, listen to me, not second, not third, not fourth. If I win first place at either one of those rodeos, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll buy you that golf cart. See, now, now, Trey, he... he he don't like to talk on the phone, and, I, and, and he didn't care nothing about my rodeoing, and that's fine. But I promise you, when I told him that, I promise I got some prayers. I bet when he went to bed that night, he said, Lord, this is, this is Trey. No, I don't talk to you very often, but I, I need a favor. My dad's going to get to Castle Rock and then Cheyenne. And I don't know where them places are, but you're God. I'm sure you do. And I'm just wondering if you could let him win. Not second, third, fourth, or fifth, but I just wondering if you could let him win First. And really, I don't even care if he wins first at both of them. I mean, while he was there, I wished he would have went ahead. And, but he said, let him win first at one of them. I left the next morning. And Trey don't, Trey's not a phone talker. I was talking to Marty Brock the other day. And I said, hey, Trey's calling. He said, well, you can call me right back because I know it ain't going to take him long. <laughs> That's Trey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can call. He ain't going to talk long. I said, I better go. It's Trey. don't call unless he needs something. And he said, and it ain't going to take long. I'll hear, I'll hear back from you in about 30 seconds. That's Trey. But you know that morning he called? I left out that morning. He called. He said, Dad, how'd you do at the rodeo? I said, Son, I'm not even to Sand Springs yet. (laughs) I mean, I was getting a call every hour. Dad, how'd you do? Boy, I tell you what, he called later that evening. Must have made his day when he said, Dad... I said, I want Castle Rock. I said, if your mom wants to go get the golf cart, tell her go get it. Maybe Harold will trust me to pay you when I get back. Boy, his mom, she didn't agree with the golf cart. He just said, eight your old boy. She gave him the laid down the laws because he had about a three-year-old, four-year-old brother said, now, the first time I catch you guys being crazy on that, and, and, and I think old Trenton would tell you, Trey's never really much to his... I mean, he cares, and we know he cares, but but Trenton probably wondered, golly, what's happened to Trey when he got through off that golf cart and it slung him about 20 foot across the driveway? Man, Trey's never cared before, but he run over there, but he, the whole time he was picking me up and scuffing me off, he was looking at the house. Get back on. Get back on. Huh? Man, there was a lot of days I watched that golf cart go. The little old seven-year-old boy hauling his little three-year-old brother. And I mean, it was all over that pasture. Old Trey's knuckles would be white on the steering wheel and Trent's trends would be whiter in the passenger seat. I want you to listen to me. That's my boy's. One day I was down under that grove of pecan trees, done had the trailer set up, done had the altars built for the round-up for Jesus, what's now the rodeo used to happen at our house. Very few of you remember how that started is I couldn't get family to church. and I thought I was going to invite about 25 or 30 people from my family that wouldn't go to church, feed them some brisket. And you know the first one, there was over 500 people in my yard, and I had to say, God, I'm needing you to multiply the brisket. And that thing has just growed. The second year it goes from the yard. It outgrew it. And I'm down there under those trees. And I'm kind of setting it up. It starts the next day. And I turned around and I seen that golf cart. I seen my two boys. Just laughing. Bouncing across the pasture. And I thought, all kinds of reasons I prayed for boys. But there was one reason you had a boy. And it was because you cared so much for us. When you had your boy, it was for one purpose. For him to die for our sins. And I can remember falling on my knees at those bells of hay. And saying, God, thank you for your son. Thank you that you care enough for us to send your son to the cross because if it was up to me giving them two boys that's bouncing across this pasture to keep people out of hell they'd be burning no one cares about my soul God the Father cares it's a lie no one cares about my soul God the Son cares He's basking in glory. My favorite chapter is Isaiah 6. Just, I mean, just basking in the glory. Just worship and praise and honor and glory. He left that. You don't know why? He cares for your soul. Nobody's ever left so much to come to so little. And when he got here, he lived that sinless life. And if you don't think He cares for your soul, go to the garden and you will find His sweat turning into blood. And He is praying, God, take this cup from me. If there's any other way to save mankind, listen, take it from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You know why He said nevertheless, not my will, but your will, God? Because He cares for your soul. He went into Jerusalem, he had a mock trial. They plucked his beard, they strung his hands up, and they beat him with a cat of nine tails. And my Bible says they beat him unrecognizable. And after they beat him, they put the cross ab- a- a- across his shoulder to show he was fully human. He had to have the help of another to get it up Golgotha's heel. And when he gets up there, they don't take his life, he gives it. You ready for me to in other words it? Here's my right hand, not because I want the nail, because I care for their soul. Here's my left hand, not because I'm looking forward to this nail, here's my left hand. Why? I care for their soul. Here's my feet, I care for their soul. Here's my side. I care for their soul. Suspended between heaven and earth when he could have called the angels to his aid and could have wiped everybody out. He didn't do it. You want me to tell you why? He cares for your soul. No one cares for my soul. It's a lie. Heaven cares. Hell cares. The church cares. God the Father cares. God the Son cares. But I'm here to tell you, God the Spirit cares. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Who did the Father sent to draw? The Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter when I'm gone. What's he going to do? He's going to guide you to the truth. That's why a lesbian girl said out there, the world's lied to me about my sexuality, but the Word of God, along with the Holy Spirit, has showed me the truth. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of righteousness and sin and judgment to come. Do you understand that? No one cares for my soul. The Holy Spirit will go to the darkest places that He has to go to speak to heart. And I've said this before, Revelation 3.20, I know He's talking to the church, but it is plenty applicable to the Holy Spirit knocking upon the heart of our, or the door of our heart, isn't it? When we get saved, what happens? The Holy Spirit knocks upon the door. I, I like how one preacher said it. We prayed one night, everybody went to bed, and I was in my study, and the little girl come up out of the basement where her bedroom was, and she ran in there and she grabbed my hand, and she put it across my heart, and she said, "Daddy, can you feel it? Can you feel it?" And he said, "What am I feeling?" I said "He's knocking. Nobody cares for my soul." God the Spirit does. Because even when I told Marty Brock, he'd use Revelation 3.20, and and man, I was the guy in the truck with him. He was preaching to the other cowboys. He was preaching to people. He loved them. But you know, I was his hauling partner. He was my corner man, and I was his corner man. And after people get saved, he'd get right down there, and he'd look at me, and he said, why don't you let him in, boy? And I'd always tell him, well, he ain't knocking yet. Perhaps he just turned down the driveway. I'd say, well, maybe he ain't knocking yet. Maybe he just got out and he's headed to the front porch. But that one Tuesday morning, I called Marty and left him a message. Wish he was there. I just let him in. Because that Tuesday morning, the Holy Spirit cared for my soul in such a way, he knocked upon the door of my heart. Amen. Boy, you got awful quiet when I told you there was a lie in the Bible. But I'm going to tell you, Psalms 142, verse 4, that last line, that's a lie if I've ever saw one. Because it reads, No one cares for my soul. But heaven and hell and the church and God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit care for your soul. Do you remember me telling you the story? I can still remember I was, where I was at. Miss Betty Hooker, but she was a teacher, so she's just Miss Hooker. She got my number. and When she called me, she was crying and she said, Rob, have you heard about... She'd give me a name. He wasn't a friend. He was just an acquaintance. It's a small town. She said, he's sick and barring a miracle, he's going to die. And she said, Rob, you just come to my mind. I got your number from your grandma. And she said, if there's anybody that can get him to Jesus, I think it'll be you. Can you go? I can still remember pulling in the high school parking lot and making a U-turn and headed back to Pryor because of that call. And I can remember not even getting to my mom and dad's house that I was going to pass in two miles that my phone rang again. And it was Miss Carol. That would be his daughter-in-law. And she said, I don't know if you've heard about my father-in-law, but I'm here to tell you, barring a miracle, he's not going to make it. She said, man, you just come to my mind. I just think if there's anybody I'll listen to about Jesus, it'd be you. Could you go to the hospital? I said, I'm on my way. Miss Hooker's already called me. I want you to listen to me. Not a friend, just an acquaintance. So when I walked in that hospital room, for him to look at me and say, Robbie, what are you doing here? That didn't surprise me. But I just pulled that seat up next to that hospital bed And about two foot from him, I said, let me tell you why I'm here. Because we got a mutual friend in that of Miss Hooker. She called me and said, barring a miracle, you're not going to make it. She's concerned about your soul. And I said, right behind that phone call, unbeknownst to her, your daughter-in-law called me. She's concerned for your soul. You ask me why I'm here? Because I'm just like Miss Hooker. And I'm just like your daughter-in-law. Meaning what? I'm concerned for your soul. A step past that, I said, is Jesus is concerned. I simply quoted Bob, Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord's not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. And he's looking at me right in the eye and I said, but here's the deal. Don't matter how concerned Miss Hooker is. Don't matter how concerned your daughter-in-law is. Really don't matter how concerned I am. And let me just tell you, it really don't matter how concerned Jesus is. If you're not concerned about your soul, it's not going to matter. it was pretty tough to hear what he said when he said, well, I'm not. Pretty sad, huh? So I've just preached to you. Heaven cares. Hell cares. The church cares. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit cares about your soul. But if you don't, you really don't matter. But I trust the Holy Spirit's going to knock on some heart's doors this morning. And when He does, I'm going to trust you'll step out and come and let us show you from the Word of God how to let Him in. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I would ask the church to show them how much we care by leading the way to the altars. I mean, come on, church. I just preached to them we cared about their souls. Maybe us filling the altars to sow in tears that we might reap with joy would show them how much we care. But if you're here today and the Holy Spirit's knocking upon the door of your heart, would you step out? Would you come this morning for salvation? Is there anybody? Anybody? A man, a woman, a boy, a girl? Would you step out? Would you come? And then I know, listen, that message right there, that was as evangelistic, that was to the lost people as you can ever preach, wasn't it? Or was it? Maybe it needs to remind us how much heaven cares. Maybe it was to remind us that even hell cares. But for sure to remind us that the Trinity, that God had three in one cares. Maybe it just needs to shake it and awaken us and stir us that we're to care. And I want to share with this, I, I done told you. Man, we had one that's been MIA for a while and that of Ty Ann Rogers. Tylee Ann. Man, we prayed fervently and I told Miss Donna, she'll be back Sunday, she'll be back. My wife called me when I was about a half a mile from the church, and she said, uh, Miss Ann, that's Ty's mom, she just texted me and she said, hey, Ty's coming. And my wife said this. She said, I just hope they don't make too big a deal out of her being back and embarrass her. So when I got there, please listen to me today. You're here, but are you really here? Are you really listening to what God wants you to hear today? When I got there, wouldn't, wouldn't you know it? When I got out, there was three of us in the parking lot. It was me, Ann, and Ty. And so I met her on the ramp on that west door. And try to make her as comfortable as I was, I put this big old stout left arm around. I said, Ty, I just come to introduce myself because when you left, I wasn't dressing quite as sharp as I do now. I just come over here to make sure you recognized who I was. Old Ty started crying. She said, yeah, I knew who you was. And I said, Ty, and I just hugged her up under my arm. She don't have a daddy to do that no more. He's in heaven. And I said, they're probably going to make a pretty big deal about you this morning when you walk in. And I said, my wife would have really liked me to got in there and told them not to. My wife worries about stuff. But I just looked her right in the eye. And I said, they're probably going to make a pretty big deal out of it. I said, "Tidy, you know why? She said, why? And I just hugged her up real close. I said, because it's a pretty big deal. That's why. It's just a pretty big deal. And I said, aren't you glad, listen to me, aren't you glad God's always got a calf ready? somebody called me this week said we need some meat you got a calf ready I said we don't and the minute I hung up I thought man I'm glad God's always got one and if you don't know the scriptures you got to look into it 5P Farms and the Kesters and whoever you get your beef from there might be a time when they don't have a fatted calf but when somebody goes prodigal when somebody goes wayward let me tell you what God does they'll be back speaks to his old farm hand. he says be sure and get a fatted calf don't you ever wonder what the conversation might be like in heaven we mean get a fatted calf well i've got one it's kind of straying away right now start feeding the calf Whew. you know why because in our eyes, we wonder if they're ever going to come back, and God knows what they've got to go through, and He knows one day they're coming back, and He says, Go ahead and start feeding the calf. I, I, I very seldom give this plea, but I'm going to today. Some of you, you've been away. And I mean, I'm talking about literally, physically, you've been away from the church, you've been away from God right but all of a sudden you've come back you're saved you know it let me let you in on something he's got the fatted calf ready you say well I'm sitting in the pew he he wants to it's a big deal ain't about you coming back and sitting in the pew it's about him having a party it's about him putting a robe on you it's about our God wanting to say this is my boy He's back. It's about God saying, this is my daughter. She's back. I don't ever give this plea in an invitation, do I, Nettie? I don't think I do. Maybe the first time ever. I don't want to embarrass nobody or make it a big deal, but the truth of the matter is, it's a big deal. God wants to show you off. He wants to put the robe on. He wants to kill the fatted calf. Maybe you've been away from God sitting right here in these services. That's possible. Maybe you've been away from God and hadn't been in services for years, but you're back today. You've been back a month. You've been back six weeks. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm like my wife. I don't make it too big a deal. It's a big deal. God would like to show you off if you've come back. I'm not going to hand you the mic to show you off. But if you've come back, is it too much to ask for you just to come up here? You can kneel. You can stand. But we just want to realize there's some people coming back home We just want to celebrate there's some people coming back home. And symbolically, God wants to kill the calf. God wants to put on the robe. Is there anybody that's been gone? Today, you're going to say, I'm coming home. Got one, she says, I'm coming home. Is there anybody else? Got another one, says, I'm coming home. Got another one right here, says, I'm coming home. Another one right here, I'm coming home. Man, you maybe have been sitting right out there, but you've really not been here. Is it time to come home? Listen, Dave's going to take off singing. These folks right here just told you that was... And listen, I'm telling you, you sitting here and you say, I can't come home, I've took so many steps, it's been so long, I've took so many steps away from God. Could I tell you something this morning? There's some more of you need to come home. I don't care how many steps you took away from him. Let me tell you how many steps it takes to get back. One. Will anybody else just say, It's a big deal. I'm coming home. Dave's going to sing. These that's coming home, man, we ought to rejoice with them. We ought to step in behind them. Guys, listen. Quit sitting out there. Guys. These guys come home. Where's my men? These guys just said, we're coming home. Man, get behind them and say, we're so glad. Lord, thank you for bringing them home. Listen, I've preached the message. There's the crowd that's just here listening. You're here, but you're not here. You've taken your notes. You've listened to the sermon. But in the crowd, sometimes it's us that hinders the cripples from getting to Jesus. Don't be, hey, listen, be the caring, be the avenue that can get them back. Celebrate that they're back. Well, we're getting out of hand this Baptist church. We're just getting silly. Yeah, well, listen, in Mark chapter 2, when all that happened, you know what they said? We've never saw it like this before. I preached at a different denominational men's pastor and leaders conference. And I just said, if yours is anything like ours, we just gather, we just go through the routine, and we just sing a few songs, we just listen to a sermon, we take our notes, we leave, never to be changed. I said, but I'm telling you, Mark chapter 2, they had a meeting. And then people said, we have never saw it like this before. There was 109 men at that conference. And about half of them said, I'm crippled. That's preachers. That's leaders. And about half of them come to the front and said, I'm crippled. And you know what happened? The other half that says they care, they sit there like a knot on a log. And I said, you guys preachers? You guys leaders? Look at this. There are 50 men up here. Is anybody going to care? And man, they just gathered up and started praying for one another. Crying and hugging. I just want to be a part of those services. Not crazy. I've done told you that. Matter of fact, when I went to the prayer meeting at the university last night, I mean, if I had it felt it once, it was ten times. Hurts, don't it? I was at the back. I was drier than a popcorn toot. They're praying for revival, and about ten times I was getting an elbow, and people was whispering in my ear, aren't you going to say something? And at the end, they wouldn't let it go. I didn't want to say nothing. Because probably what I was going to have to say to them was going to pour water on their fire. But they wouldn't let it go. They wouldn't let it go. Ain't you going to say something? When I got up there, I said, I don't know how many's cut this, but the first woman that prayed said, we need to wait. The third girl prayed that said, God, help us to listen. And I said, if a guy tries to wait back there in the back and he tries to listen, he just keeps getting an elbow. And I said, if you're going to be just an average speaker, you've got to be a great listener. And I said, so you guys kept you guys kept poking. And here's what I've heard tonight from your prayers. Every denomination was realized. I said, I've heard you guys telling God what He's going to do. I said, my Bible says ask, seek, and knock. I said, I don't want to pour water on anybody's fire, but I think we need to be asking God instead of telling God. Man, you think, I, I, I sound like a little bit of a party pooper there. You know why I've done that? Because people can get silly. And I'm here to tell you, I want to see it like I've never saw it before, but I'm very aware that it can get silly. And I'm all about it being unorganized by man, but organized fully by God. I'm all about us waiting and listening for Him to move. And I said simply, I see a lot of emotions here tonight. And before revival comes, these emotions that's been birthed by truth of what's happening across our country, when these emotions turn to passion. See, emotions will get you on the field, but when the game gets tough, emotions won't win the game. Emotions will get you in the arena, but when it gets tough, emotions won't get the won't get him tied fast enough. Emotions will get you on the bull's back, but when he really goes to kicking high and spinning hard, emotions won't keep you on his back. Passion will. Here's what's happening across our country right now. And it's got to start that way. Emotions are starting to get stirred. Aren't they? And if you're here and they're not, listen, you're living in your own world. God is on the move and emotions are starting to get stirred but if they don't turn to passion because it's tough to let a revival be birthed among us if they don't turn to passion it'll just be a little mercy drop upon us don't be the one that thinks we're getting crazy because we're gathering people up and praying with and we're crying with and we're loving on them. Listen, I've seen the traditional church services long enough. I've seen the evangelism conferences and the men's meeting long enough. And, and when I realized that was a men's conference and a pastor's conference, I thought, who in the world am I, the guy with all the questions, to get up and give them the answers? I don't have the answers. But I can tell them we're missing it. So, listen, God cares about your soul. Great crowds of a morning. When will the great crowd start coming back and praying and the emotions that want revival turn to passion for revival? Amen. Brother Bob, you close us in a word of prayer.